Lord, as we uh, dive into your word today, I ask that you would give us open minds and most importantly, open hearts uh, to hear what you have for us, to hear how you would uh, like us to think and feel in relation to you and in relation to other people. Most of all, Lord, I just want to thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So uh, it's probably not a fair question that I have up on the slide right now. Do I need recovery uh, without having an explanation of what is recovery? What does that look like? What does that mean? For some people, they hear the word recovery and they automatically think that, well, is he talking about alcohol? Is he talking about drugs? Because those aren't my issues. But I'm not talking about those things. They're a small component of the things I want to talk about with you today. Today we're going to explore what does the Bible say about recovery? What are the conditions that uh, could be defined as needing recovery? And what are the biblical principles involved in recovering? So we're going to explore that a little bit today. Before that, though, I'm going to share a little story with you. So little Billy's dad had worked a long week. And on Sunday, he actually had gone into the office and worked another half day. And so when he got home in the after, Sunday afternoon, he was pretty tired. And all he wanted to do really was take a little nap on the couch. But little Billy, being six, wanted to play. He hadn't seen his dad all week, pretty much. And he wanted to go out and have a game of catch. And his dad just didn't want to. He was tired. So his dad grabbed the newspaper, which had a laid-out picture of the globe, of the earth on it. And his father tore up that newspaper, and he threw it on the ground, and he said, okay, Billy, I'm going to take a nap, and when you can put the world back together, wake me up, and I'll go outside and have a game of catch with you. Billy's dad was pretty pretty confident that that wasn't going to happen anytime soon, because Billy, being only six, didn't really know where all the countries were in the world. However... It seemed like he just barely closed his eyes and Billy was waking him up. Dad, Dad, I'm done. Let's go play some catch. So his dad looked and sure enough, there was the world taped all together. He looked at his watch and it had only been like 20 minutes and he was baffled what in the world happened. So he asked, Billy, how in the world did you do this so quickly? And Billy said, well, Dad, it was pretty easy. On the other side was a broken man. And when I put the broken man back together, then the whole world came together. And that's really kind of the principles of recovery, is that as we um, recognize our own brokenness and share that with others in community, uh, in, in a relationship with Jesus, we can, we can have healing and joy in our lives. Help, Nick. There we go. So there is a um, a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that uh, is all over the world. Celebrate Recovery was founded about 27 years ago. It started with 43 people in the gymnasium of a psychiatric hospital. Pretty humble beginnings. But now it's in 35,000 churches all over the world. And over 5 million people have used the curriculum to gain healing from all different kinds of, as this slide says, hurts, hang-ups, and habits. So hurts would be those kinds of things that 
other people do to us that cause us emotional and spiritual pain. Things that we do to ourselves sometimes too. Hang-ups would be those things that we do to other people, the ways that maybe we get angry at people or resent people or are judgmental and critical of people. And habits I would define as those things that we use as coping mechanisms to deal with the first two categories. So there's a group of 24 of us from the local Adventist churches, uh, five local Adventist churches. There's 24 of us that have been meeting every week, I think for almost five months now. And we're going through the principles of Celebrate Recovery, which are all biblical principles, in an endeavor to change the way people relate to each other, the way people live in relationship. We're, we're practicing this idea of uh, being open and vulnerable about who we really are and loving each other in the process. And so we're going to look at uh, some of the biblical principles about that today. We need your prayers, by the way, the 24 of us. We're, some of them are in this room. I'm not going to make them raise their hands, but we, I'll just say that we need your prayers, please, because w- what we're uh, endeavoring to do is a huge task. So I'd appreciate if you prayed for our group. So let's define what recovery is a little bit. Ah. Okay, so in this book that Fred Bischoff recommended to me, it's called The Life Model, Living from the Heart that Jesus Gave You. Uh, the authors of that book describe recovery this way. Recovery is facing and embracing all the pain in our lives so that we will gain maximum growth, learning lessons, gaining power, and looking for ways to help others do the same. Those are the goals of recovery, a destiny that is beyond what any person could achieve alone. It takes other people's loving involvement in order to develop our maturity, and it takes God's redemption to bring something good out of our pain. God is working in everything for our good so that we have something extraordinary to give to others. So the, the book isn't suggesting that God is causing everything, simply that he's able to use everything to bring glory and to give us healing. So in that context, brokenness comes in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't, it doesn't just look like alcohol and drugs. It looks like sin. Sin that causes us pain. This entire world, since the Garden of Eden is broken, and we're all broken, it's just a matter of, do we want to acknowledge that? And do we want to have recovery from that? So some of the synonyms of recovery are words like redemption and restoration and the path to a definite cure. So I think that redemption is something that we all need. We all do, for different reasons, but we all need redemption. And I think we all desire restoration. However, sometimes I think that when we, when we, um, think about recovery, 
Sometimes, sometimes we think that other people's situations or other people's brokenness is worse than ours in some way. And so what we're trying to do in our little group is to see the commonality of all of our situations, that the common denominator is brokenness, whatever that looks like, and the solution is a relationship with Jesus and relationship with other people. The Bible talks about it a little bit in 1 John 1.8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in 1 John 1.10, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So sometimes I think that it's easier for us to think that, okay, well, but I don't have those sins over there, so I'm good. And that's really not the case. That, that condition that John is describing, Paul talks about, and Paul says that in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So this, this journey of recovery is going to continue until Jesus comes back. We don't know when that'll be, but we know he's coming. So in Celebrate Recovery, uh, the idea is that is that we want to get to know Jesus. We want to get to know what he's like and what he wants to do in relationship with us. And that's the foundation. And I think that for all of us, that should be the foundation. Jesus should be the foundation that the rest of our lives is built on. And then recovery can really only happen in a community where it's safe to be vulnerable. I don't think it's just in this church or in Adventism at large. I think I think it's a problem all over the world that people want to be accepted, but they're afraid to be known. I thought I heard it. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. Uh, so to really experience intimacy in relationship, we have to be willing to be open and honest. And we're going to take a look at that a little bit. In the verse that Harold read for us, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, I'm going to just go through it again with you. And he, Jesus, is speaking to Paul directly, said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. So at, at first blush, that might sound a little awkward. And in our little group, it has been awkward. But the idea is that if, if we truly believe that our foundation is in Jesus and that his grace for us is sufficient, we should be able to show our weaknesses to people. We should be able to be vulnerable with people because Jesus is going to sustain us in that. Paul goes on to say, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So there's this idea in discipleship, which is what Celebrate Recovery is. It's a, dis- a way of living, a lifestyle of discipleship. There's this idea that instead of leading from a power, a, a position of strength, that we lead from a position of weakness. That Paul's not suggesting that we glorify sin or that we literally boast about sin, but that we boast that we understand that Jesus is our sufficiency, that it's it's only through his strength 
that we can get through life day to day. So the principles of Celebrate Recovery, I said, are biblical, and they are, and they're primarily based on the Sermon on the Mount, mostly, in the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about what Christian character looks like. So I thought it would be interesting to look at an author that, that most of us enjoy, and I looked up in this book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, which which is a commentary on um, the Sermon on the Mount, and I found some of the same principles at work in that book as are at work in Celebrate Recovery. So in page 135 of Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, it says... Everyone who has been made a steward of the manifold grace of God is called upon to impart to souls in ignorance and darkness, even as were he in their place, he would desire them to impart to him. So the first question is, who are the stewards of the manifold grace of God? Who are those people? We are, right? So... Part of what are the what are the characteristics of being a steward? A steward, number one, means that you've been given something, right? You've been given something, and secondly, it means that of what you've been given, you are going to use it in a way that it multiplies or that it grows. So, if we have a relationship with Jesus in which we recognize that He is the answer to our brokenness. That message is a message that we should share with other people who are broken, not uh, use it as a way to judge other people or to put other people down. On page 128, uh, can you go back like two slides, Nick? One more. Thank you. I think that's the right one. Yeah. Yeah. So on page 128, it says like this. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, you will have no disposition to watch others to expose their errors. Well, I don't know about you folks, but man, I do that a lot. I'm just being honest. There are people that, there are people that I'm in relationship with every day and I'll see things they do and in my mind it will go, well, that's wrong. Why are they doing that? But that's not really what we're called to do. It goes on to say, instead of doing that, seeking to accuse and condemn, it will be your object to help and to bless and to save. So in our group, what what we're endeavoring to do is to do just that. We want to experience Jesus' love in such a way that as we meet people who are broken that we can walk alongside them wherever they're at in their life and not judge them, but help them, bless them, and lead them to salvation. Amen. Can you go ahead, one? My clicker quit working. So recovery enables healing, which causes growth. So the illustration I'd like to give you to, to kind of make this point is this. So if you break your arm and it heals, you have it casted and then it heals, that arm, that bone in that arm becomes stronger than it was before. Now people don't generally run around breaking their arms 
because they want them to be stronger, right? The same thing applies in an emotional sense and in a spiritual sense. Once we recognize our brokenness and allow Jesus and other people into our brokenness, we can grow and be stronger just like an arm. So we certainly don't want to run around trying to be broken. We don't want to do that, just like someone wouldn't want to break their arm. But we do want to recognize that in sharing our brokenness, not hiding our brokenness, that we can grow in relationship with Jesus and in relationship with other people. So what does that, what does that really look like? So how do we, so how do we process our brokenness in recovery? So in 1 John 1 9 is the first step. John, John tells us that if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can go to Jesus anytime for anything and confess it to him and he'll forgive us for it. It's really a beautiful thing. And then there's more. If that's not enough, then there's more. In James 5.16, James, Jesus' brother, continues that message with confess your faults. Some translations say trespasses. Some translations say sins. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. So it's a, so you can go to Jesus anytime and confess to be forgiven, but if you want to be healed, you have to share it with somebody else. Isn't that interesting? It's something that the world really pushes back from. We don't, uh, the world teaches that, you know, we want to be on top, that we want to be number one. We don't want to appear weak. But the Bible suggests that we should, uh, because we are weak, we should recognize our brokenness, we should confess our sins to Jesus, and then we should confess our faults one to another so Jesus can heal us. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 1 uh, to talk about it this way. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So for there to be a Father of mercies and a God of all comfort, there would need to be brokenness that would need mercy and that would need comfort. So recognizing where to go with it when we have it, and then what do we do? Then what does God do and what do we do? So in verse 4 it says, Who comforts us in all our tribulation? So God will comfort us in whatever situation we're in. If we go to him and confess, he'll comfort us. But not simply just so we'll feel better. There's a bigger purpose at play. And that's the last part of the verse. And it says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So... Let's just say, for example, if if you have a situation that you're dealing with, uh, it could be anything. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's maybe maybe you're tempted to view pornography. Let's say, for example, where would you go? Who would you go talk to about that? Do you know? Because if we're not if we're not willing to be open about the things that we're struggling with, with the temptations that we're wrestling with 
then how do we pull alongside other people to comfort them? So uh, last year I was here and I gave my testimony here. I, some of you were probably here for that. It was in the little church. Um, and I shared about how uh, I had been in the world and I had struggled with alcohol. I struggled with drugs. I struggled with pornography. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't think that there was anyone in the church that I could talk to uh, because I didn't think anyone in the church did those things or had ever done those things. And so I floundered alone in the world for over 25 years because I didn't know where to go. It's important that we are not glorifying sin, but that we're willing to be open and vulnerable about the areas in our lives where we've struggled and Jesus has given us victory. So other people can learn from our experience in those things. I realize that that, that is maybe a, a, um, a scary endeavor. I met with the area pastors this, uh, this last week and I asked them what they thought about that idea. And they said that they thought it was a great idea, but that they were afraid to do it themselves. So we have a, we have a culture of, of, in essence, a culture of fear about trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus' grace. That somehow what you think of me is more important than what Jesus thinks of me. And that's not really what the Bible teaches. Our sufficiency should be in how Jesus feels about us and thinks about us. This is a, this was really tough for me when I read this page and thoughts from the Mount of Essing. It made me cry the first time. So just bear with me a minute. Um, this suggests that a religion that leads men to place a low estimate upon human beings whom Christ has esteemed of such value as to give himself for them, a religion that would lead us to be careless of human needs, sufferings, or rights, is a spurious religion. In sliding the claims of the poor, the suffering, and the sinful, we are proving ourselves traitors of Christ. And Christ saved me. Christ saved me from everything. And in his love, I have learned a new way to live and to exist and to view other people. And I don't want to be a traitor to him. This passage here suggests every human being the poor, the suffering, and the sinful are all categories of humanity. So as we, um, as we bring other people into the family of God, we should love them the way that Jesus loves us without exception. Because if we don't do that, then we're considered traitors of Christ. So Jesus talked about what does that look like? You know, I don't want to be spurious and I don't want to be a traitor. So, so what do I do? How do I, how do I 
interact with people, if, if they're using these other principles that we discussed, let's say they're being open and honest, they're boasting in their infirmities, they're talking about who they really are, then how should I behave? So it's safe for them to continue to do that. And this is what Jesus says in John 12, I mean 15, 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. So sometimes I think when we read that, we that one's life means, yeah, well, I, you know, I jump in front of the train and push someone out of the way and give up my life to save them. But life is bigger than just that. If I'm willing to lay down my life, it means I'm willing to lay down my own preconceived notions about things, my own personal prejudices, my own wants and desires for you, for the things that you need to grow in a relationship with Jesus. In Matthew seven twelve, in Matthew seven twelve, Jesus described it this way. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets, which at that time would have been the whole Bible. The whole thing comes down to this. Treat people the way you want to be treated. <laughs> right? So simple in, uh, in an intellectual sense and so difficult in a practical sense. So um, these verses are often called the golden rule. And in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, it talks about the golden rule a little bit. I think sometimes when, when I talk to people, people will say to me, well, but why aren't you talking about prophecy? Or why aren't you talking about these other doctrinal issues? And it's not that I don't know those teachings, because I do. I mean, I graduated from Arise. I'm an intern at Light Bearers. I... You know, I'm pretty, pretty well versed in biblical study. But I think that somehow we have, we haven't built solidly on the proper foundation. That in our effort to attain knowledge and wisdom, we have passed by the most important things. And the most important thing, according to this quote, is this. The standard, which would mean the way to do it of the golden rule is the true standard of Christianity. Anything short of it is deception. So if you want to be able to call yourself a Christian, if I want to be able to call myself a Christian, I have to love people the way that Jesus loves them. I have to see people the way that Jesus sees them. Uh, in Romans 3.22, it talks about the faith of Jesus. And that's the faith that Jesus has in people in relation with him, the potential of who they can become through relationship with him. And he desires for us to see people with that same faith. Can you go forward one? There, thanks. On page 137 it says this, and this just blew my mind when I read this, so I'm interested to see if any of you recognize this. So it says, when those who profess the name of Christ, which I think um, everybody in here profess the name of Christ. Everybody? 
When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, the same power will attend the gospel as in the apostolic times. And then what happens after that? Jesus comes back, right? That's describing the latter rain. Well, I think that we all would agree that we all want Jesus to come back. And this is the way to achieve that. When we start loving each other in community, in recovery, in our brokenness, in the same way that Jesus loves us, the latter rain can be poured out. The Holy Spirit's power can be used. And people can be brought into the family of God. So in the beginning I asked uh, if I, the question was, do I need recovery? And now the question I have is, do I want recovery? So now with this explanation of recovery that I've given, with these ideas in mind, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands or anything, I'm just asking you to think about it. Is recovery something that you want in your life? Is recovery a lifestyle that you would like to be a part of? Uh, as the days uh, continue to pass, we'll be opening our little group up. Oops. Can you just go to the last slide? Thank you. We'll be opening our little group up to all the churches and inviting everyone to come. And the things that we are learning and experiencing we will share with you and we'll ask you to become a part of. So if you can be thinking about that and praying about that, uh, this idea of being vulnerable in community, being open about our brokenness so that we can heal in community, I would really appreciate that. Thank you.